I guess it's really um, important just to give animals space regardless of what vessel you're on. And there's quite a common argument, oh, but the dolphins came up to us, sort of thing. And that's absolutely fine. Dolphins are inquisitive and they do come in bow ride, but it's all about trying not to disturb the animals from the behavior that they were doing. My name is Laura Palmer. I'm a PhD candidate at the University of Bristol in the UK. And I guess I would call myself a cetacean ecologist very broadly, but my interests mostly are in communication. Welcome to Below the Tide. My name is Liz and I am your host. This is episode 35 and we are jumping right into where we left off with Laura last week, or I mean the week before. Sorry, this episode is late. Life got in the way and things just happen. If this is your first time listening to Below the Tide, welcome. The goal is to bring you marine science directly from the scientist. We are just trying to make marine science more accessible and easy to understand. Every episode has resources like photos and videos that you can find on Instagram and Twitter at Below the Tide Pod. You can also find them on the website www.belowthetide.com. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure you hit follow wherever you listen to your podcast and on social media. You can also leave a rating on the podcast to help it reach more people. That would be great. And if you've been here for a while, you know the drill. Grab a coffee and enjoy. Your work that's bringing you to Australia is that you, so it's part of the same project and you're looking at a different population. Yeah. So very broadly, I want to understand the drivers of whistle variation and in Shark Bay, because they have this real unique social structure with males forming these cooperative alliances and females having a much simpler, slightly more solitary social structure. There's a real nice contrast there within a population to be able to say, how do social relationships impact vocal behaviour? Or in particular, I'm interested more in whistle structure. And so the reason that we think or we would hypothesize there could be an effect here is that it's kind of, I mean, since the 1800s, um, it's been hypothesized that having a complex social structure kind of drives the need for complex communication because you need to convey more information. You need to be able to interpret and mediate more information. And so what we expect to see from the study in Shark Bay is that the males that live in these bigger cooperative alliances may have more complex vocalizations because of this need to to interpret more situations or convey more information. And we would expect perhaps that females would have more simple vocalizations. Um, And it's a pretty unique population that we can do this with because um, This question has kind of been examined a lot in birds and other species, but what you don't tend to see is such stark contrast in social structure um, within the same species. So in birds, they'll use related species, but you can never quite rule out that the differences could just be driven by slightly different morphology. Um, And that's why you see differences in the sounds. So this is a pretty unique experience. And I work with the Sharp Bay Dolphin Research Group. um, And they already have years of data of males, mostly. That's mostly what their research is focused on. And so the plan when I go to the field this summer is to really focus on getting some recordings of female whistles so we can start to try and understand um, 
whether we do see differences based on different social structures. And we're also going to look at whether habitat is potentially a driver of the differences between whistles because there's a real habitat gradient in Shark Bay where the water is quite open and deep in the north and then these really shallow sort of narrow channels in the south. And there there's kind of, it's called the acoustic adaptation hypothesis. Essentially it means that you should adapt your vocalizations to um, travel the best way for the environment that you're producing them in. So by that, I mean, if I was in a very busy crowd, for example, I would change my speech. I would talk louder. I would perhaps talk slower so my message could get across. Um, and so that's what we want to look at when they live in these really complex parts of the habitat are they using more simple whistles that will kind of transfer through the environment without getting quite so distorted um and do we see that they use um sort of lower pitch whistles because that in theory should travel further through the environment so when you say that you're going to be trying to focus on female whistles Mm -hmm. can you tell just by a whistle if you're listening to a female or a male, or are you trying to find a female and then trying to wait for her to whistle? Yeah, so unfortunately, there's no way to tell from the whistle if it's, if it, well, not that we know of yet, but there's no way to tell if it's a female or a male. Um, you really you need to observe the animal and ideally you would see their underside and be able to see their genital region. There are a few other indicators, particularly in Shark Bay, the behavior is also quite quite key it's not conclusive but often because males cooperate to herd females you'll see them swimming around in their pairs or trios whereas females tend to be maybe on their own or with a calf another way to tell the sex of the dolphin is using genetics as well which the group also do so from a whistle can you kind of tell what is trying to be communicated is like what are they chatting about yeah, we're we're still. Are we still a looking few at the steps social away stuff? from that? Yeah, yeah. I guess there's there's always this desire to be able to do that, and I think the first step might be kind of understanding what context certain whistles are used in, for example. So there's some evidence of um, certain whistle types being shared during foraging events. And perhaps that could be that they're trying to uh, convey information about the quality of the foraging patch or using it to cooperate um, whilst foraging together. Uh, It's not quite clear yet. But because these animals are vocal production learners and they can produce a whole host of whistles and that can change over time, actually pinning down the meaning of individual whistles is a very difficult task. Um, I'm not sure something um, that we'll be doing immediately uh, or anytime soon, in fact. But yeah, it's more about understanding the context different whistles are used in and perhaps what it can tell us about um the emotional state or the behavior of the animal. And do these dolphins migrate? So if I speak mostly about the Cardigan Bay population Mm. that I work on more, um, it's known as a semi-resident population, which means that a core proportion of the population will stay in Cardigan Bay year round, but that, that some individuals will leave and go elsewhere. But we're really still learning about 
exactly which individuals and exactly where they're going. There's some evidence that they go further north in the UK um, and they've been cited through the use of photo IDs, so these markings on the dorsal fins, there's some really good kind of collaboration between different scientists and community scientists and things like that, um, that allow us to track some of the longer range movements. But really, it's a it's a big unknown still for this population, considering they've been studied um, for about 20 years. It's incredibly hard to get data in winter if you don't use acoustics which we're only just starting to do in cardigan bay um but yeah traditional photo id and boat surveys is mostly limited to summer months there and so we're trying to expand our project using acoustics and using the signature whistles that we detect these identity calls to try and track the movements of individuals and understand where exactly they're going in winter (laughs) wow i love that yeah and i feel like It's one of those things where everyone wants to know, you know, are the dolphins moving from point A to point B? You know, do they interact with other populations? And, you know, and with marine mammals, it's so difficult to know. Yeah. And actually, I think historically for like the previous decade, we tended to say like in the UK, there's the Cardigan Bay semi-resident population and then the Maori Firth population in Scotland. And there is no evidence that these populations mix. But in the Maori Firth population, there's actually been some recent findings of really large movements towards like Denmark and things, the individuals from that population. We didn't realise before necessarily that they would travel that far. Um, And even, yeah, I I can't, quote on the countries but certainly Denmark they've traveled to and these same individuals have been have been found and this actually they said that a lot of those findings came about because of social media and like the kind of citizen science efforts that are going on that kind of flagged some of the same individuals and one of the really well recognizable dolphins from that population Spurtle who was severely sunburned because she's stranded some years back and now she has these remarkable scarring patterns on her back so she's like super recognizable and that kind of allowed us to see oh actually some of these individuals are traveling a lot further than we did think previously so it's not yet proven but I'm keen to see where these Welsh dolphins are going and perhaps there are some more movements towards Scotland than we know. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And so would your research kind of expand um, with, you know, understanding where these dolphins are going or is it easier for your type of research to stay in one location and build up? So I guess the long term goal would certainly be to look at these larger scale movements. And there are some kind of UK wide acoustic monitoring programs that have hydrophones deployed that you could essentially do that with. Um, The main limitation to doing that is actually the processing power and being able to get through the volume of data, like the automated algorithms that would be able to pick up a whistle from one location and match it with one in another location uh, are not quite there to the point where we still need quite a lot of human intervention. And so really, it's kind of more of a resources thing than than anything. But certainly the goal is to keep expanding kind of the range that we're looking at and to try and match 
the signature whistles from Cardigan Bay, see if there are any matches with signature whistles recorded elsewhere. Oh, yeah. And so a question I always ask people is, do you see climate change impacting your area of research or are there other impacts uh, that uh, are causing difficulties in your area? Yeah, so climate change is so large scale and far reaching that there's no way I could say that it would not impact our population of dolphins in Cardigan Bay. As top predators in the ecosystem, the impact of dolphins is more likely to arise through the effects on their prey, for example. Um, So there was a really cool study that came out of Shark Bay by my colleagues um, who after a severe marine heat wave in 2011 that caused seagrass populations to crash and then hence fish stocks to collapse as well, found real serious negative effects on both the survival and reproduction of the dolphin population. Um, And that's kind of um, an indicator of how climate change could materialise for some of these top predators. Um, And dolphins are highly mobile, so it's entirely possible that they can shift their ranges and perhaps move elsewhere to buffer, mitigate some of these effects. But we don't know whether that will be the case. For dolphins, there are some other major um, kind of human impacts that are cause for concern. So fisheries interactions, so bycatch, where dolphins are kind of incidentally caught in fishing nets and drown, um, is a huge uh, source of mortality for largely porpoises and some other species of dolphin, but it can be bottlenose dolphins too. And dolphins are also highly sensitive to noise because they're so dependent on it to sense their environment and to communicate with each other. Noise disturbance can have uh, real negative effects for dolphins. And so that's probably another one of the major threats that is facing them and is extremely hard to monitor and mitigate at the moment. Totally. And I feel like with dolphins, especially bottlenose dolphins, because that's what we see in the media, a lot of people, their experiences with them are even through ecotourism. Exactly. Um, There are huge benefits to ecotourism. It's so important that people get out and see these animals and get to care about them if we have a hope of conserving them. Um, It's all about responsible ecotourism and the operators of these boats being educated and how to behave around dolphins, how to minimise impact and also control over the wider industry such that there's not unlimited numbers of boats that can be potentially disturbing dolphins. Um, It's a relatively new industry, I guess. So maybe it's taking a while for some of the controls to come into place in 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 some areas. But there's definitely huge pluses to ecotourism as well. And I think, yeah, the the best way to to get people to care about the conservation of these animals is is for them to get that experience. Oh, for sure. And to create that, you know, that memory and conserve that feeling of like, oh, this is when I saw a dolphin. And, you know, the first time I ever saw an orca in the wild was on a whale watching boat, you know, and I was really lucky that I was on a boat where the, the captain was, you know, very respectful of distances and made a point to be like, we can't get any closer. We have to move away because they're coming towards us. But I think 
that's one of the things that like pushed me into the marine science field because I was like oh my god exactly yeah and I think it was the case for me as well you know experiences out on boats and seeing the animals and I just wanted to say as well in Cardigan Bay there is a code of conduct where the ecotourism operators have all kind of been um consulted about and they have signed up to this and there's a lot of accountability in that area and there's a lot of people who just care about the population and they want to share the experience of seeing these animals and they want to do it in the most um sustainable and kind of eco-friendly way that they can and yeah i think ecotourism when there's also um some responsibility taken for education is really cool as well i you know countless times i've been out on the boats and then i've heard people or passengers coming off and being like that's really cool i didn't know that you can't get that close to dolphins etc etc and like that's nice because we're kind of instilling like a sense of responsibility in people as well as at the same time oh totally because then you also have the people who you know, are using pleasure crafts, you know, and they're out on their own and, you know, creating this network of understanding and education. Exactly, exactly. And what a complex issue as well, because there's things like kayaks and paddle boards, which are, you know, they're so abundant in Cardigan Bay. And it's a it's a very gray area. They're not producing noise. They don't have propellers to physically harm animals. Um, but that's not to say that they're not disturbing animals from going about foraging and things like that. And so I guess it's really um, important just to give animals space regardless of what vessel you're on. And there's quite a common argument, oh, but the dolphins came up to us sort of thing. And that's absolutely fine. Dolphins are inquisitive and they do come in bow ride, but it's all about trying not to disturb the animals from the behavior that they were doing. It's a cause for concern when we see a group that were foraging and then a boat comes by at speed and they and they zoom off to bow ride um, purely because that's detracting from time where they should be eating and they should be kind of building up energy stores and things. Yeah. And what is bow riding? Bow riding is basically where dolphins swim right at the front of the boat. So at the bow of the boat. um, And it's not really clear why they do it. It seems like it's just for pleasure. But yeah, it's it's a nice experience when you're on board the boat <laughs> to see the animals so close and having fun. But yeah, it, it must use energy and it does expose them to a lot of noise inherently because they're close to, to a boat engine. Totally. And actually that leads into, I have a few questions from listeners who, yes. you know, if asked or if, you know, they could ask a dolphin expert anything that was one of the questions is why do dolphins first of all jump out of the water and why do they you know use the wake of a boat to jump as well is that just like for fun or is that something that they're doing that's just dolphins yeah it seems like it could be for fun but we still it's very hard to prove exactly what the motivation is behind some of these behaviors um certainly we see dolphins jumping and leaping quite a lot at like after foraging for example after they might have caught a fish when they're getting excited when groups come together at sea there can be quite a lot of commotion and there can be leaps and 
sometimes it's not necessarily like a friendly thing it can seem like it can be a bit confrontational sometimes or like asserting your presence perhaps um it we I mean I guess we would think sometimes it's at least linked to emotional state we do see kind of tail slaps are often used as like a warning or um an indicator of of irritation perhaps um I'm really cautious to like totally anthropomorphize them meaning like I don't want to attach like human emotions and human behaviors to dolphins but it certainly does seem that they use some of these behaviors potentially for having fun potentially to to convey their emotional state and then another question I have is what is one of the craziest experiences you've had in your work or revolving around dolphins or porpoises whatever you feel my biggest like once in a lifetime opportunity was I was fortunate enough to get to go to Antarctica like as part of my master's course and conduct some research there and it was kind of just an indescribable experience to be in an environment which is relatively untouched by humans and just so peaceful and so serene and the animals there they it's like they don't know to be afraid of humans in some cases so we would um, do landings ashore and there would be penguins on the beach and they would come right up to us and they would climb over our legs and things because no one that had been there, I assume, had posed like a threat to them and they were inquisitive. And it was just such a, a incredible animal encounter, a wild animal encounter. And yeah, a, an amazing opportunity to get to go somewhere like that. And when it comes to the dolphins, kind of I've had like, a real standout moment and I'm probably not going to do it justice trying to describe it now um and the whole thing was probably over in about 10 seconds but this summer uh we were doing a survey and we encountered a group of I think it was 11 dolphins they were just jumping around socializing it was super active really fun um and we had the hydrophones deployed so in effect when we're on the boat it's just almost like dipping a cable over the side or suspending a cable over the side is what it looks like um and I stand by one of those taking voice notes explaining what's happening and where different individuals are and during part of the encounter one of the big individuals I'm assuming was an adult male but like I said we can't sex them just uh that simply he came up right next to the hydrophone where I was stood and kind of just rolled onto his side a little bit and started blowing bubbles from the blowhole like right around the hydrophone and it was probably over so quickly but it was a real standout moment just because it felt so intimate you know we're lucky that we get to see these animals pretty closely as part of the research but there was something so kind of personal about that and like I said I don't want to like interpret the emotions of the dolphin but for me it certainly was like this real came across to be so inquisitive and playful and uh yeah it was just it just gave me a lot of uh thought and reflection I suppose that I'm really privileged to be in the position I am where I get to get to be close with these animals and yeah it was a quick moment and 
I hope something like that happens again. But yeah, sometimes when I'm sat staring at whistles on a screen for ages, that's kind of the moment that I think back to because I think it's kind of why I'm into this. I'm intrigued to know what can we find out about their behavior and what can we learn about these animals and their their kind of cognition and their abilities. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure you hit follow wherever you listen to your podcast and on social media. You can also leave a rating on the podcast to help it reach more people. I will see you next week.